0: Passion for God, and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. All right, you may be seated. Uh, We'll take a moment to dismiss kids for a time of kids worship. Sorry, I normally say more than that. I was just reliving what my son was doing just a few seconds ago. So, slightly distracted here. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, just to clarify, we will bring your kids back after the end of the sermon uh, and they'll join us for worship here at the end of the service. Uh, for the rest of us, uh, it's, it's great to be with you this morning as we continue our series, Broken Vessels. We are looking at uh, how God uses uh, different people for His glory and just in His grace, how He is at work in the lives of His people. And so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to look at the story of Lydia. Lydia is another one of these uh, very important and yet uh, perhaps lesser-known figures in the story of the Bible, and uh, I would say that she holds the uh, the, the place of, of honor I guess uh, of being the first convert to Christianity on European soil. so there were other Europeans who became Christians, but uh, they, they became Christians in Jerusalem. This is the first person to become a Christian on European soil at least as it is recorded in the Bible. Acts 16 is a turning point, not just in the book of Acts, but also in the, the story of the church's history. So to this point, the, the, the book of Acts has been focused on the ministry of the church in Judea, and then the surrounding regions going just a little bit further than Syria. So we, they, they've just kind of made it into what is modern-day Turkey. But at this point, even though Acts is over halfway over, now we're going to see God guides Paul, and really he takes his mission from the land of Judea and the surrounding area into Europe, and then of course it culminates at the end of the book of Acts with the gospel reaching the very heart of the Roman Empire as the gospel reaches Rome itself. Now, Lydia's story in Acts chapter 16 is not just a cool story that we can use during Bible trivia. It's actually this powerful reminder of how God shows his commitment to his people. And it also gives us this picture of God's intention for his church. What does God want to do in his church? How God is as at work creating unity in his church in spite of the very different backgrounds that the people of God come from. So if you have a Bible, I I invite you to go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 16. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. We're going to look at the life of Lydia in really two sections, two parts here. Uh, First, we're going to look at her conversion and and the events leading up to that conversion. And then afterward, we're going to look at the implications of, of what God is doing, not just in her life, but also in the church in Philippi. So that'll be our roadmap this morning. I invite you to to pray with me as we approach God's word. Father, thank you um, for how good you are. We ask that you would be at work in our midst this morning, even as we will soon read that you open the heart of Lydia to pay attention to the gospel message. We ask that you would do the very same thing with us this morning. We ask that you would enable us through your spirit to be a people who hear and believe and and respond to the gospel with a life of faithfulness. God, we ask that we would be a people who are, just as Lydia, judged to be faithful to the Lord. We ask these things for Jesus' sake and for our good. Amen. All right, the heart of our, our discussion concerning Lydia is really going to focus on, on two verses found in Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. It says this, "...one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God." The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Significantly, the story of Lydia's conversion starts well before Lydia starts or steps onto the scene in Acts chapter 16. It actually starts Uh, several hundred miles away from Philippi, where Lydia is living. It actually starts around the year 50 AD. Paul and his companions are just starting out on their second missionary journey. Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14 tell us about Paul's first missionary journey, where he and his friends planted churches in the southeast and central portion of Of modern-day Turkey. Let's go ahead and put that map up on the screen. This will help us. We'll continue to reference this and come back to this time and time again this morning. So on his first missionary journey, uh, Paul spent most of his time there in the bottom right section of this map in the pink area, and he made his way into the orange area there in the middle of modern-day Turkey. On the second missionary journey, which is actually what this map is, is representing, we see Paul returns to these churches that he had planted about a year or two earlier, and he goes to, as we see from Acts chapter 16, verse 5, to strengthen them in the faith. But Paul is not content with just staying and visiting these churches that he's already planted. His desire is to press westward into the Roman province of Asia, which is represented by this large pink section there on the western part of modern-day Turkey. Now, if you're following along with this map, again, Paul is is ministering here at the beginning of Acts chapter 16 in this orange section in the middle of of Turkey, Uh, that's Phrygia Lyconia, Galatia. And from there, his plan is to go into the province of Asia there, that pink section. But as we see from Acts chapter 16, God has other ideas. So we read this in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, this is a significant verse And we don't know exactly what it looked like. Later, Paul is eventually going to travel to Asia. He's actually going to plant a church in Ephesus. He's going to minister there for several years. But that's not God's plan for him in this moment. God says, hey, don't don't go to Asia. And yet at the same time, God doesn't give him specific direction of where he is supposed to go. So they head north rather than west. Let's go ahead and return, or excuse me, verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So let's go ahead and throw that map up once more. Paul is ministering again. In the orange region, he desires to go to the pink region. The Holy Spirit says no, prevents Paul from doing so. Paul is not to be deterred. And so he and his companions say, okay, if we can't go west, we'll go ahead and head north. And they go toward what is that blue section there at the top of the map. But again, God has other plans. We see that that God stops Paul from entering into Bithynia. So Paul and his friends, they skirt around Asia, and they end up in Troas, which is marked there on the coast of Turkey with that green star. It's a city on the Aegean coast. And I wonder at this moment if Paul and his friends felt a little bit stuck. They're desiring to serve the Lord. They're desiring to to follow him and, and to tell people about Jesus. And yet they've been told not to go south. They've been told not to go to Asia. They've been told they're not supposed to go northeast into Bithynia. They don't want to go back to the east because that's where they've already ministered. They've already planted churches there. And to the west is the sea. Now, thankfully, God, again, guides Paul. We see this in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. So again, Paul and his companions, they're in Troas on the sea. Paul has this vision, uh, this dream of a man from Macedonia. And that Macedonia, let's throw the map up one more time. Uh, Macedonia is that orange section in the very top left corner of the map. All right, So this is, this is Europe here. And Paul and his companions, uh, they, they've got their direction that they've been wanting. They weren't sure where to go. Now they know where to go. They're going to Macedonia. They set out right away. They travel to the coastal city of Neapolis. And from there, they journey on foot to the city of Philippi, which was the leading city of Macedonia. And this was typical, what we normally would see from the Apostle Paul. He, he goes and journeys to a, a large city where he plants a church in the largest city of that region, and from there, that church, in turn, is going to send out missionaries to the surrounding communities, which, in turn, plant these churches in the surrounding com- communities. Now, we might be saying, what exactly does all of that have to do with Lydia? And I would say it has everything to do with Lydia. Everything to do with Lydia. Lydia. Most of the time, as we look at the book of Acts, and we see what Paul's missionary journeys are like, they're so extraordinary because they're so ordinary. Paul's first missionary journey, Paul and his companions are sent out by the Holy Spirit, but we're not told that they're given direction as to where they're supposed to go. God doesn't say, I want you to go here, I want you to go there. They just say, it just says that they're sent out by the Holy Spirit from Antioch. We're actually told in the course of of his first missionary journey that they travel from place to place. Sometimes they're just directed, not from a direct word from God, they're just simply directed by persecution. They go from town to town trying to escape persecution. That's what we see in Acts chapter 13 verses 50 and 51, Acts chapter 14 verses 19 through 21. Same way in Paul's third missionary journey, which will take place later on in his life, Paul oftentimes will make decisions to move from one place to another based off of persecution or simply just a desire to go somewhere else. So Paul will leave his ministry or his his mission work because he desires to return to Rome, or excuse me, return to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20 verse 16. So when we're looking here in Acts chapter 16 and we encounter not just one, But three moments where God explicitly directs Paul, we should take notice. We should take notice because it shows us that God has a specific plan and a specific purpose that he has for Paul specifically in Philippi. He directs Paul's steps to Philippi. Where Paul will soon encounter Lydia, where he will soon preach the gospel to Lydia, where she will soon respond with repentance and faith. In other words, the account here of Acts chapter 16 shows us that Paul is leading, or God is leading Paul to Philippi, God is leading Paul to, to Lydia, really, in order to show God's complete utter commitment to the spread of the gospel, and specifically here, the spread of the gospel among these people, people like Lydia and the other people that we will encounter in Acts chapter 16. God is orchestrating the steps of Paul to get him to Philippi, where he will encounter Lydia and where she will hear and believe the gospel. This is astoundingly good news because it reveals God's unbelievable love for his people, not just after they believe the gospel, but in the events leading up to them hearing the gospel in the first place. And I want us to just consider before we continue, continue have you ever considered if you're found in Christ if the exact, that the exact same thing is true of you as well? The exact same thing is true Of you as well. God knew exactly what He was doing in in orchestrating the events that led to you hearing the gospel and believing. God knew exactly what He was doing when He placed that one person who shared the gospel with you in your life. God did not make a mistake when He gave you the parents that He gave you and they might have shared the gospel with you and you believed. God did not make a mistake. He knew exactly what he was doing when he exposed you to the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, time and time and time again, even though it took you a very long time to believe. God orchestrated all of those events, whether it was over a short period of time, over the course of decades. God orchestrated events that led to you opening your heart, hearing, believing, believing in the gospel. God's faithful commitment to his people is on full display, even in the ways that he orchestrates events so that they might even just hear the gospel. Before Lydia even steps on the scene here, we see that God is completely and utterly committed to his children so that they might hear and believe. Let's go back to Acts chapter 16. At this point, Paul and his companions are in Philippi, and yet they encounter a new problem, a problem that they haven't run into before. To this point, whenever Paul and his friends go to a new city, their first stop in a new city has has been going to the Jewish synagogue. They go to a Jewish synagogue. There they have an opportunity to tell people about the long-awaited Messiah. And yet now they're in Europe, they're in Philippi, and after some days of ministering here, Paul hasn't made very much traction Because there's apparently not a Jewish synagogue here in Philippi. So what does he do? Well, we see what he does in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So Paul and his his companions, they've spent their short time in Philippi trying to find a community of God-fearers. This is just a a way of of describing Gentiles who trusted in or or who were interested in the God of Israel. They hadn't fully converted to Judaism, but they were interested in this God of Israel. And as Paul and his friends are asking around Philippi, someone tells them that, well, we've heard of this group that, that actually meets together on Saturdays outside the city. On Saturday mornings, they meet near this river for a time of prayer. And so the next, time, next Saturday comes, and Paul and his friends, they, they head out to the river outside of Philippi, and they, they come across a group of women who are indeed praying. And I just want to say, this is complete speculation on my part, because the text doesn't say this. But, but I think, if we were to say, well, what exactly are they praying about? I think that they're probably praying for something that has to do with how they as Gentiles might be accepted by the God of Israel. And Paul and his companions, they begin, they walk up to these women, they begin talking to them, they tell them the good news of the gospel, and we don't know how many respond, but we do know that at least one does, and her name is Lydia, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. That's an incredibly important verse for understanding how God is at work in salvation. Because it shows us that salvation from the very beginning until the very end is ultimately a work of God. Why is it that Lydia responds to the gospel? Well, according to Acts chapter 16, it's because the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Here again, we see Paul's commitment or excuse me, God's commitment to Lydia. Not only does he orchestrate the events that lead to Lydia hearing the gospel, Paul's arrival, Lydia's exposure to the gospel, but he's also the one who opens her heart so that she might hear, she might pay attention, and she might respond to the gospel. This is a very similar refrain to something that we see throughout the book of Acts. It's found throughout Acts. Acts will affirm the human responsibility to respond to the message of the gospel, to repent and believe in the gospel. That's what we see in verse 30, just in Acts chapter 16, just a a few verses later. And yet, at the exact same time that it recognizes this human responsibility, it simultaneously affirms the reality that the sovereign God is the one who has to be at work in people so they might believe. So take Acts chapter 2, for example. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This comes right after Paul's, or excuse me, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, revival breaks out in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes down, thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. And notice that the scriptures say that it is the Lord Himself who is at work. God is the one who is adding people to the church. A similar and probably even more explicit example is found in Acts chapter 13. Paul, on his first missionary journey, it says this, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Paul is preaching in Pisidian Antioch, and it leads to a number of conversions, and as we also see in Acts chapter 13, it also leads to this massive wave of persecution against Paul. And the book of Acts tells us that we should not be surprised when there are these twofold this twofold response to the preaching of the gospel, because the preaching of the gospel does not rest, or the response to the preaching of the gospel does not rest in our hands. It is the Lord who is the one at work in hearts, enabling people to respond with repentance and faith. And that's exactly what we see here with Lydia. Lydia responds to the gospel because God is at work in her life. God is the one who is opening her heart in order to believe. This is even seen in the fact that that Lydia, she's this Gentile businesswoman, she's been gathering with a group of, of women to pray to the God of Israel. God is preparing the way for her to respond, for her to, to be saved. And again, when she finally hears the gospel, she believes. She does just that. Now, we might say, well, what exactly does this mean for us today? I think there's at least two responses that this calls for from us. First, it, this should lead us to worship. Worship. This should lead us to worship. If you consider the fact that the only reason you responded to the gospel is because the Lord opened your heart to believe, shouldn't that inspire wonder and awe? Shouldn't that inspire amazement, humility? Why would God set his sights on someone like me? Why should God see fit to have mercy on a person like me? When we read these words that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention, it leads us to worship because we realize, you know, God did the same thing with me too. I grew up in a Christian home, grew up in going to church regularly just about every week. And yet, in spite of that lifetime exposure to Christianity, it wasn't until I was about 16 that I began to take my faith seriously. And afterward, after I became a Christian, I consider that the moment when I became a Christian, people would ask me how I became a Christian. And I would say for the longest time, I grew up in a church that didn't preach the gospel. And that's what I said. The, the reason why I didn't become a Christian until I was 16 is because I, I grew up in a church that didn't preach the gospel. And, and I think you can catch what's implied in that statement, right? If I would have been in a better church, than I would have believed at a younger age. But at some point, I don't remember exactly when, after persistent exposure over the course of years, maybe even a decade of exposure to the Word of God, I stopped saying that I grew up in a church that didn't preach the gospel. Now that might be true. I I, I honestly don't remember. But what I now say is that I didn't have ears to hear the gospel until i was 16 this is language from mark chapter 4 its language from other parts of the gospels as well if we were to use if i was to use language from acts chapter 16 i would say something like this i didn't have a heart that was open to the gospel or open to pay attention to the gospel until i was 16 notice again the implication here as well no longer is it Well, I would have done it if I was in a better church. Now the implication is that that's not something I could do. I couldn't open my heart up on my own. It was not in my own strength. Instead, this was a gift from God. That's why I say that this idea of the Lord opening up hearts to pay attention to the gospel should lead us to worship. Because when I think of who I once was and how perfectly content, I cannot stress that enough how perfectly content I was being who I used to be. When I look back at that and then I think about who I am now, I thank God that he saw fit to open my heart to pay attention to the gospel. Acts chapter 16 should lead us to worship because who are we that God had mercy upon us. You see, not only does this lead to worship, it also leads to perseverance and prayer and evangelism. This perspective leads to perseverance and prayer and evangelism. I'm convinced that this perspective is what allowed Paul to persevere when he went through all sorts of sufferings, and persecutions, even abandonment by his friends over the course of his ministry. Why? Well, because Paul knew that his, or the response that people would give to the gospel, it was ultimately out of his hands. It's not as though he could learn a specific technique And if he just adopted that technique, or or if there was that formula that he could he could discover, that would produce faith in the lives of the people that he shared the gospel with. Paul knew that if anyone was going to believe this message, then it would have to take a literal act of God. And so he prayed. And he did not get discouraged when people did not believe. But he continued to pray and he continued to to proclaim the gospel. And when he prayed and when he proclaimed the gospel, many times he was met with persecution. He was met with ridicule. But other times he encountered a person like Lydia. And that person was eager to respond to the gospel. The same thing is true for us, and specifically with our loved ones who who do not walk with the Lord. This is a call to perseverance, a call to prayer, to keep praying, to keep turning their eyes to Jesus, because who knows when God might see fit to open their hearts to pay attention to the gospel. Acts 16 and Lydia should lead us to to worship and to perseverance. Acts 16, Lydia has believed in the gospel. Immediately she puts her faith to work in verse 15. After this, she was baptized and her whole household as well. She urged us saying, if you have judged me faith, to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Lydia gets baptized probably in this river that she's standing right next to. It's a sign of her new life in Jesus. She's, it's clear that, that God has opened her heart to pay attention to the gospel, and, it, and that's met with obedience. And that starts with the obedience of, of being baptized Others in her family believe as well, and they're baptized. And after that, she responds by opening up her home to Paul, to his companions. She does so with humility. As we soon are going to see, Lydia is a person of of great wealth. She's very wealthy, and yet she uses her wealth to further the kingdom of God. It's likely that the church in Philippi started meeting, its, its first meeting location was in Lydia's home because she had the means to house so many people for worship. See, Lydia understands that the call of the gospel is, is not just a, a call to, to believe, but it's, it's belief followed by a life of sacrificial service for others and for the Lord. She is indeed faithful to the Lord through her actions in welcoming Paul, welcoming these other missionaries into her home. And we might say, well, what exactly can we learn from Lydia? What can we learn from her conversion here? Isn't it just the power of Jesus in the gospel? How Jesus is at work through the gospel? Just consider what that Saturday was like for Lydia. Saturday morning, she wakes up, religious, but dead in her sins. And that night, before her head hits the pillow, she was a child of God. And that's the start of the church in Philippi. We see here from Lydia's conversion, it reminds us of this unshakable commitment of God toward his people to draw his people to himself. God is at work bringing those who are far off into his family. If you are in Christ, the reason is, it's not, it's not because of any credit to your own or to yourself, but because he saw fit to open your hearts. And Jesus isn't done. You can be confident that he will continue to be at work just like he was in Acts chapter 16 with Lydia. So persevere in prayer. Persevere in sharing the gospel with others. One of the most powerful things about Acts chapter 16, it's not just the conversion of Lydia, but it's really the start of the Philippian church. Acts chapter 16 shares three radically different stories about the converts that lead, that, that were the first converts in Philippi, the, the start of the church in Philippi. The fact that Paul tells us that Lydia is from Thyatira as a seller of purple goods is not just a throwaway information here. It actually uh, gives us a fair bit of information about her background. Thyatira was known in the ancient world as a very wealthy city. It was one of the only cities, uh, this is, you know, thousands of years ago. Dyeing clothes to whatever color you wanted was was relatively foreign. There were certain colors that were easy to cultivate and produce, and there were other colors that were very hard to produce, including the color purple. And so, of course, if it was rare, that's the color everyone wanted. And that's what made it very expensive. It was uncommon for people to be able to dye clothes purple in the ancient world, except in this area around Thyatira, because there was a special plant that grew there, and it allowed people to dye clothes purple. And this made Thyatira a very wealthy city, especially those who were in the industry of selling purple clothes. So here, when it says that, that Lydia is a woman from, from Thyatira, a seller of purple clothes, it's reminding us, you know, she's pretty wealthy. Not only was she able to do this, but she actually moved away. She moved away from Thyatira, moves to Philippi and starts selling these purple clothes. It suggests, you know, she's not just a person of great wealth. She's also an incredible businesswoman. She's got her act together. And so here we see that this, this church starts with someone like Lydia, and yet the surprising thing about Acts chapter 16 is it's not just made up of people like Lydia. It's not just a group of very wealthy business people. That's made abundantly clear from the very next story in Acts chapter 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So here's Paul. He's he's continuing to minister in Philippi, and he delivers this little girl from bondage of the enemy. And and it's not explicit in this passage that she becomes a a follower of Jesus, but I think it's, it's very safe to conclude that she converts to Christianity. She becomes a believer just like Lydia. Why is that? Acts chapter 16 contains three stories. The first story and the last story tell us about conversions to Christ. The middle one doesn't make it explicit. It makes sense that it also shares uh, shares with us a a conversion to the faith in Jesus. And this is an ironic passage, isn't it? This little girl is known for telling the future, and it appears, as she's following around Paul and his friends, it appears that she's actually legitimizing the message of Paul and Silas. And the pragmatists in us sees this and says, well, you know, the, the ends justify the means. Look at what God can do. Satan meant it for evil. God's going to use it for good. This little girl, even though she's possessed, man, she's, she's doing a gospel work. Here's an important reminder for us, though. God doesn't need Satan's help to build his church. He doesn't need Satan's help in legitimizing the message of the gospel. This is the Lord who can open hearts to pay attention to the gospel. This is the Lord who directs Paul's path to Philippi. He doesn't need the help of an evil spirit to legitimize the message of the gospel. And the Lord hates to see his image bearers, people like this little girl, in bondage and torment to the enemy. And so he uses Paul's words to deliver her from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And again, we're, we're seeing a church begin to form here. We have Lydia, this, this wealthy businesswoman, and now a slave girl who's been possessed by a demon. And this is the start of Jesus's church in Philippi? Can you see what he's doing? Acts 16 tells us what takes place next. As you can imagine, the, the slave girls' owners, they're not very thrilled with what just happened. They, they made quite a bit of, of profit off of this little girl's suffering, and so they cause an uproar. And the whole town gets involved, and, and Paul and Silas are beaten, and then they're thrown in jail. Verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So now we're introduced to this third character, this this jailer who locks Paul up, locks Silas up in these painful stocks for the night. And around about midnight, Paul and Silas, they're, they're praying and singing praises to God when an earthquake hits the jail and the doors are opened, and everyone has the chance to flee. And when the jailer sees this, he pulls out his sword in order to kill himself. After all, it's better to just die now to get it over with than to die at the hand of of the magistrates for neglecting his duty, even though it was beyond his control. And yet before he can do that, notice what Paul says. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. This is an incredibly powerful story. God uses the resolve, the commitment of Paul and Silas to stay in suffering. To bring about the events that will lead to the salvation of this man. God uses the witness of Paul, the witness of Silas, their joy in suffering to bring life to this person who was once dead. And not only to him, but to his entire household as well. His, his family hears the, the story of God's mercy on people throughout the ages, on their husband, on, on their dad, on their grandfather. This man who just moments earlier, hours earlier, was, was beating these prisoners. And what happens? And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. John Chrysostom was a pastor in the late 300s. He's largely regarded as one of the best preachers in church history. And I love the way he describes this scene. The man washed away their wounds and the Lord washed away his sins." This powerful picture, as just as with Lydia, God intervenes into this man's life, delivers him from spiritual deadness. Just like with the slave girl, God brings him out of his bondage. Just like with Lydia, he is baptized, shows hospitality. Jesus' church continues to grow in Philippi. Do you see the message of Acts 16, Jesus establishes his church in Philippi in a way that makes it abundantly clear that he is the one to credit for its growth and no one else. And of course, the implication is that's not just true in Philippi, but that's true everywhere where God brings together people from drastically different places, drastically different backgrounds, to create this beautiful tapestry of people to build his church. Jesus builds his church with all sorts of people, but he doesn't just do that. He actually receives glory when he does that. We see that Jesus is glorified in the church's unity in spite of their differences. This is why Paul, a decade later, he's writing to the church in Philippi and he stresses unity, a heart of serving one another in Philippians chapter one and two. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Jesus is in the business of building his church with people from radically different places, radically different backgrounds. And when the church works together in harmony, Jesus is glorified. When the church is known for standing firm in one spirit, when the church is known to be of one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, when the world is telling us we should have nothing to do with one another, Jesus is glorified. Jesus receives much glory when something the world says shouldn't work, it just shouldn't work, when it not only works but flourishes in fact Paul writing to the church in Ephesus this is a beautiful picture of, of how God uses unity in spite of our differences to actually make this declaration of God's glory in Ephesians chapter 3 it tells us Paul tells us that that God bringing people together from different backgrounds and uniting them together into one body is actually a declaration of his unbelievable wisdom to the demonic forces that are opposed to his church. Notice Ephesians chapter 3. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the mystery hidden for ages in God, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Jesus receives much glory when you get together on Sunday morning with people who are not at all like you in order to worship the same God. This is certainly the case here at Crosswinds. When we gather together with people who are different than us, who have a different opinion or a different preference on how things are to be done than us, when we say we unite together for the sake of the gospel, around the gospel, for the glory of Jesus, Jesus is well-pleased. And Jesus is building his church for his glory. Lydia's story is a picture of how utterly committed God is to his people, to bringing them into his family, and to his own glory as well. He orchestrates Paul's movements guiding him, directing him toward Philippi, where he eventually encounters Lydia, shares the gospel with her. He opens Lydia's heart to pay attention to the gospel so that she might believe. But God isn't done. That's just the beginning of the story of the church in Philippi. God rescues people from very different places, brings them together to give us a picture of what our church can be as well. For our good, and for Jesus' glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you use the gospel to bring new life to people from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of places. How you are in the business of rescuing those who are trapped, who are lost, who are dead in their sin, that we might be welcomed into your family. Thank you for the story of Lydia and a reminder of your unbelievable love and grace toward your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.